Welcome back to Beyond the Sectors, your bi-monthly podcast all about the beyond world of author duo Kit Roca. My name is Chelsea. And I'm Anna. And today we are here to talk about book eight, Beyond Ecstasy. Uh, this is the book of Hawk and Jenny. Uh, these are two characters who we didn't meet until a little bit later on in the series. But before we get too much into it, Anna, do you want to kind of give us a plot synopsis, reorient us for where we are in the middle of everything? <laughs> so where we left off last uh, was the start of war. Uh, at the end of Beyond Ruin, we had uh, the sectors, well, in the, in the middle of Beyond Ruin, honestly, Sector 2 is under uh, carpet bombed, and most of Beyond Ruin is dealing with that. Um, here in Beyond uh, Ecstasy, we have the ramp up to war. The remaining sector leaders are all gathering together, thinking of how they're going to take on Eden, because obviously something terrible is happening. And we're following Jenny and Hawk. Hawk is sort of a new recruit to the Okanes. We met him in Finn and Trix's book. Um, he was a part of a sort of uh, gang of smugglers based out of Six, which is a farming uh, sector. And he grew up on a farm, but now the it's sort of like run by his mother and his stepmothers. But he is all about gathering favors. So he, because he sees the law, like he's been watching that things are going to go wrong and he figures he needs to make big friends and the O'Kanes are the biggest friends he can make. So he has joined uh, the group and, but he has been falling slowly, no, not so slowly in love with Jenny. Jenny is a dancer and sort of um, a sex worker in the O'Kane gang. Uh, she used to work with Gia and now has taken her ink and works and does whatever uh, Lex and uh, Dallas want from her. And she was at one point very heavily involved with them, which is sort of the reason Hawk has hung back. And But with the war coming, he's not waiting anymore. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is the, um, we've been building up to it for a while now, but I feel like this is the book where both as readers and then also the characters themselves are kind of really uh, psychologically catching up to the point of war and where they're at. And the next two books deal a lot with uh, the immediacy of making decisions and the impact of the that immediacy in a time of war and in a time when things are so greatly unpredictable. Um, one of the things that happens very early on in this book uh, is that Hawk asks, or Hawk insists basically, he wants to call her Jenny because much like with Dallas and Lex, there are some similar echoes there with them, knowing what that means, but not really thinking through all the ramifications of what that means. And part of that is Hawk's upbringing in Sector 6 and the way that family structures work in Sector 6. Part of that is this war that is impending and how long he feels like he's already spent kind of pining for her. Um, And I just think that that is really interesting because that becomes this kind of underlying dynamic throughout the whole rest of the book that is, even when it's not being like directly addressed, really impacting the way their relationship progresses. 
Right, because so much of their tension is the fact that they are running out of time and do they have enough time and they have skipped over so many things while waiting so long to act on things and whether they have a solid basis to have a relationship and build something together. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's, you know, uh, Jenny's just getting out of or has kind of fairly recently got out of this whole thing with Lex and Dallas, which presents, you know, a whole nother level of um, kind of relationship stuff that she's working towards. and of course, you know, Hawk is distracted or is also busy dealing with his family. They go to visit the farms and we get to see Sector 6 and the the way that things might potentially fall out for them. Again, fairly early on in the book, and this is another book where we spend a decent chunk of time away from Sector 4, away from the compound, seeing another part of this world and these characters. Right, because we spend a lot of time in Jenny and Hawk's own past because we go, uh, before we even go to the sectors, right, we go to spend some time with Gia. Um, and so we get to see where where uh, Jenny used to live, the people she used to be with, her way of life, her friends, what matters to her. Uh, and then we also go to Sector 6 and get to see the complicated past that Hawk has. Um, and there's a lot of, co- he has some trauma beyond just being raised in on the farm. Um, and so there is a lot to unpack in both their worlds. And I think it's always really, by this point in a series that's kind of this long, I think you can start to see some echoes that the author, that the authors in this case are doing kind of intentionally. And I think we see in this case um, similar echoes to what happens between Brennan Six in terms of Gia helping them navigate this new kind of uh, power dynamic in terms of their sexual relationship. And, you know, there's even a scene where Ace offers to do that and explicitly references having helped Brennan Six in the past. And it ends up being Gia in this case, which is, I think, adds another layer because of the history between Gia and Jenny. Um, but we also get, the, you know, um, uh, echoes of the revolution that happened in four when Dallas took over when we go to six and we learn about some of the early history that Hawk's family had and the way that that history and his relationship with his father and coming back and doing all of that can mirror some of the things that have happened in the O'Kane world as well. Right, because, you know, Hawk, when he gets thrown out of six as a young man, meets Ship who's just a few years older than him, but has this charisma and power and dream. And he sort of signs up for ship uh, mission in life and ends up having him bring rebellion to the farm in six, right? And freedom for his mother and his and his, and his sisters and mother and stepmothers. Uh, so that I think you, you get a sense of what it means to be driven by something and enough to like take arms and change. Uh, so yeah, this isn't the first revolution a hawk has signed up for. Um, and so it's that's always an interesting thing to sort of go back and see because he is such a new guy in the O'Kanes and often feels out of place, you know, and to see him back in his at the rally and the loft and being teased by his sisters, you get a sense of him of like where he fits in space. What always strikes me is because he's actually... Isn't he almost like 40 in this book? Um, yeah, he's one of the older heroes that we yeah. get in the series. 
and I, you know, it always shocks me when we find out his age because he feels so young when he's among the Okanes because he's, in a sense, so innocent about the the way of the Okanes, and he feels so lost. Um, you know, he like he's struggling to like look at the women in their in their eyes and, um, and trying to like, oh my gosh, I'm just gonna treat him like my sisters. <laughs> but yeah, he's actually, you know, he's just sort of been sort of, I guess, sort of frozen in time in a sense. So he has to work some stuff out to sort of reach for for love that he wants. Um, but I think you're right about the echoes because I think there's also echoes between Ace and Jenny, uh, both former sex workers, both very used to being sort of the third wheel in relationships, uh, being there to smooth the way, be sexually available, but not having something for themselves. And so Jenny deals with a lot of that of, you know, she thought maybe Dallas and Lex would be it for her. Um, but she was still always on the outside on that. Not because they didn't love her, but that's who Lex and, and, and Dallas are. Um, so she, so she reaches for Hawk, um, when, even though she knows better, she knows that, that they're jumping and that there's things that they need to do, uh, because she so wants that. And I think that's a really great point. I had not noticed that, but I think that you're right. I think that we see that, especially if we kind of jumping forward to sort of the end of the book and the big kind of uh, first climax between their relationship uh, and the point where Jenny offers to basically stay behind and sacrifice herself for Hawk. And I think that that mirrors a lot of the way that we saw Ace reacting and his willingness to take himself out of the relationship between the three of them because of the way he saw himself and his own value and worthiness. And and while the motivations here are slightly different, her quickness to do that and how much that hurts him, I think is, is another similar echo that I hadn't noticed before. So I think that that's a really good point. Yeah, they both have that sacrificial... <laughs> yeah. Which is interesting to see kind of turn on its head this time and to see it be, because usually it's the opposite, right? We have Mm -hmm. the man so willing to kind of throw himself on the sword because the woman will be, and in this case, the genders are reversed. And I think that that's interesting and adds a dynamic to it, especially given when we learn Hawk's age and how young he seems. You're right, because he reads through so much of the book as so much of a, a caring and comforting and brotherly figure. And that's not to say that that's like, an age-based thing, but it just reads as so young to him. There's an exuberance that matches it that feels very youthful. Right. He, I mean, he has his love for his car, and I, I guess that just always, to me, made him younger to me. But but when you see him among his sisters, then you see him more of like, oh, I get who you are. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really interesting to think about all the, the spy stuff that happens in this book, because Jenny is... A goddamn spy, uh, in in a in a different way than Jared was, but she enters this cabal essentially with Noel and Noah about trying to decrypt the communications out of um, Eden. And while Hawk is running around, sort of doing the physical punching and trying to track down stuff, she has a special skill um, that allows her to remember everything that she listens to or reads, and so she is able to sort of unlock this uh, code that Eden has been using. Um, and so it was also sort of interesting too of her finding her place in the gang at the midst of war. Like, I mean, 
there's a lot of conversations about the many faces of Jenny. Like she wears all these costumes when she dances. She puts on lots of different personas as part of her role as a sex worker. And so she has just always sort of behind a mask, behind a mask, behind a mask. And with Hawk, it's all about trying to get past that, not because both of them want to do so much for the other that <laughs> there's like, yeah, but you gotta be real. And that's a, that's a big story. But one of it, I think, is her finding her role or her value of like, she she can do this for the O'Kanes, right? She can take on this terrible job, even though she doesn't want to tell Hawk that she's doing it because it's scary. Yeah. Yeah, and I really love that when he does inevitably find out that he doesn't react the way that she's afraid he's going to and that he's okay with it and that he, he would rather have her at the at the compound working on decrypting things than out with him or with six or with and you know any of the other kind of more uh on the street involved um fighters but i think that that's why i really love the scenes where they're discussing both before and after they go to gia like this breakdown of the dominance and submission and pain play between them and there's a really small conversation that they have where she talks about people wanting to save her from sex work and how much he value she values that he's never tried to do that and how that plays into her willingness to be more vulnerable and let down those masks that you were talking about and it's just really well handled and it's just I love that there are those examples of those kinds of conversations happening in and amongst all of the other story and plot and kind of other things that are going on at the same time Uh, because in addition to the romance that develops, which again, I really love the ending of this book because I think it's maybe one of the strongest in the series testaments to the the general thesis of like your happily ever after looks like what you make it look like. Like this is one of the few books, there are a couple, but one of the few books that don't end with like everyone involved, either collared or inked or both like mutually agreeing to take that i think it's also one of the first traditional marriage marriages like yeah. quote, traditional yeah, marriages they, they, that we've they seen. actually have a marriage ceremony mm-hmm. um yeah and it, yeah and and for them to have to basically they have to make this progression of thinking they have to do this thing which which hawk thinks what you do is you collar um and basically like this is how you guarantee that this is for real and forever and they're forcing this forever and then they sit down and talk at the end. They just sit down and sort of talk it out and try to figure out and like recognize that the fact that they sit down and talk things out is a plus for the relationship. Like they talked about everything that they had done wrong and they kept always being stuck and having these conversations with what what they skipped and whatever. And they had to suddenly realize the fact that they have these conversations is actually a plus sign that they can, that they can have... that respect and that listening is actually a real strong foundation for them. And then they can start talking about what they want to do and what their dreams and what they really need from each other. And Hawk can ask for the thing that he really wants to have and that's to have like a real marriage, like official marriage style uh, relationship. Yeah, they'll get inked and all that kind of stuff, but that's, but what he sort of needs is that. That's just beautiful, I thought. Yeah, I really, really liked it too. And I thought it was really fitting and really, like I was saying, it's a really great example of the 
the variety and the different ways that because along with that also comes this idea that we've seen developed throughout the book and that just the way that six has developed differently than four in terms of like they share a lot of um, family importance and those similar bonds and you can feel a lot of similar things going on but also so drastically different in the way that family was approached or treated and romance and things like love and all of those things were approached or treated that I think that to have that kind of melding of the knowledge that they are going to do the collar and the ink and like that will all come eventually but here in the moment the thing they're doing is also more of this tradition that feels like it's it comes from six more so than it would come from four I just thought was a really it just is always really beautiful to me and I think I always kind of forget every time that they end it with the like wedding like an actual wedding ceremony um but it's just a really lovely way to end it that's different from so many of the HEAs we've seen so far. Right. And I mean, it's interesting. In a lot of the other books, we also are, we end, you know, in Bro- The Broken Circle with the O'Kane kind of rituals. And this was a place where they were having six kind of rituals. They were saying goodbye to the people who had passed. They had they had honored that. And then they gathered like in a circle. And and I, I always crack up with like Big John like throws the Bible like, yeah. I don't need this. Um, <laughs> I love just... Big John. He's like, for a character <laughs> he's... who's not in it a ton, I love every scene that he's in. He's such I a know. great he's, side he's character. He's just a character larger than life uh and so you can just see him sort of like i can do this i know all the words and it's very homey and different and i think it's also a contrast to jenny's past because we get to know a little bit about jenny's past she's geneva of the of the city who basically she walked out of the city because she didn't want to turn into her mother and her mother basically was a serial um uh, relationship climber in the city and basically she's if she's gonna do that she's gonna sleep with powerful men in order to get power and prestige and uh, whatever she's gonna do it honestly for money and so she'd rather do it in the sector so you have this thing where she has left behind her mother sort of marrying for money and power and she marries but she marries and she but she marries for love and for comfort and for uh, togetherness and joint mission I guess Mm -hmm. which is really beautiful because we see that almost very same journey for Hawk but in his in that community there was no romance or marrying for love there was marrying for for genetics basically (laughs) genetic yeah genetics for to make sure that you were not so closely related that it would become an issue but that also you were genetically going to make you know hale and hearty farm capable children basically there was you know not a and you know hawk mentions that things have begun to change and that things are changing but that's such a slow cultural process that it's it's interesting to see them navigate not having a history of coming from romance or from love as an emotion or just from emotions in general but instead from these much more kind of quote, practical concerns, even if the concerns are very different. Right. And I mean, and there's this whole thing, too, where he sort of has, he's reliving a thing where as a young man, he coveted his neighbor's wife, right? You know, he fell in love with the youngest wife of one of his neighbors, tries to run away with her. They get caught. She goes back and something terrible happens to her because you know we know that he she looks past him the next time they ever see each other so he has that in his past and then he has this thing where he covets his boss's 
girlfriend, essentially, right? <laughs> and so he has sort of, she, that's all plays into his shying away because he's done this. <laughs> he's done this and it's ended terribly. And then he has to go through the thing where something terrible is going to happen to her and he can't help it. Um, and have it not break him. Um, it's, and, you know, so that's always so interesting of like the cycles that he has to go through and that she goes through to come out the other side. Mm-hmm. And that concern he has for breaking her or that helplessness that he feels, that's something that is really interesting because it comes up at multiple points because then kind of transitioning to some of the more like plot based, like world building e stuff, the big um, like uh, heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking climax of this book involves Hawk feeling so incredibly helpless and being so helpless to find any other solution but to cause his mother, this other woman in his life that he has such great affection for, this unavoidable pain and so and loss. And so that reinforces for him this kind of mirroring image that that thing same thing is going to go on with Jenny and that creates you know echoes of issues for him throughout the book right they have they have all this stuff of um he keeps wanting to save people and the women in his life don't let him save you know uh and because they don't and they so don't want him to carry this burden they see it and it's sort of letting him grow to the point where he realizes he does he's he's that's not what he's supposed to do either, that it's supposed to be about mutual love and support, not somebody saving somebody else, not someone taking on all the responsibility, um, whether it's being able to get someone out of a situation or not. Yeah, and I really like that. There's a point at which him and his mom have a very like explicit conversation about that. And she kind of, yeah, she kind of performs the same role that many of the uh, O'Kane women do throughout the books of kind of slapping some sense into him and and acknowledging that while she appreciates his desire to want to protect her and care for her, that his doing that is not only incredibly unfair to her and like his sisters and siblings, but also to himself and the amount of then responsibility and guilt that he tries to put on himself. And, you know, this is not, he, Hawk is not the only uh, O'Kane or O'Kane adjacent person. We've seen struggle with this same kind of d- dilemma, um, but it really just continues to come back to that message of him acknowledging or a partner acknowledging um, that both ab- both people's ability to make a decision is the ultimate form of consent and trust and love and power and all of those things kind of together. Well, it- and I think, I mean, I love Ayla. Ayla is one of my favorite supporting characters. You know, she's at 14, basically conscripted to be a wife, has a young child, has a hard time being able to mother him in the situation that they're in, but still just is a strong, strong woman who rebuilt her life from a, a terrific amount of abuse um, to build a safe place and a safe harbor for her sister wives and for her daughters and and other children. And she, what she struggles with is letting someone love her. Um, And how long she kept ship aside because he's younger and just because she's been so harmed. Um, And so that's sort of the lesson that she wants to impart to Hawk to let someone love him. Um, And, you know, it's, it's a beautiful, vulnerable thing to sort of admit of like this, 
you know, you want to be strong, you want to be self-sufficient, you want to be all those things, but you have to let people into your life. And that with that comes pain, but it's worth it. Mm -hmm. Which, yeah, and that's what makes that lesson so incredibly painful when it's reinforced when Shep is killed during the big kind of escape slash Eden raid on Sector 6. And it's not the first, but it's one of the first kind of, I think, major character death in terms of like characters we've seen multiple times have gotten at least like, you know, marginally emotionally invested in as we've come to know him through Hawk and our several glimpses at Sector 6. And so not not only that it happens, but the suddenness with which it happens and all of that. And the fact that it happens in the course of this thing that's also ultimately life-saving for so many others and to this community at large just really makes it hit that much more painfully on top of the already painful context in which it's all happening. I love the moment where Ayla comes in to the room with the sector leaders and you see Lex struggling with how, what does she do here? Because And, and she basically comes to like, she needs to acknowledge the loss. She needs to let Ayla be strong. And um, because basically she sees herself in Ayla and sort of like, what would she want? Uh, because we've seen so many other women also come into, like, you know, we've, uh, we saw Lily arrive post, <laughs> you know, the, the massacre of her family. Now Ayla making this bit in just sort of like, you have to face the pain, which is going to set up stuff for later books where we're going to have a lot more pain. Um, so yeah, no, it, it, there's, it's interesting. I feel like there's so much going on and we have hardly talked about the war itself, right? Um, we have the, the endless meetings about war now, um, the hospital being built and establish all those things or like all the preparations are set. We have a militia created and you see how the O'Kanes are struggling with the fact that death is coming. They know they're going to lose people. And here's, here's the first casualties to their cause and knowing they can't buckle because more death will be coming otherwise. Yeah. And from Page one, from the very beginning of this book, the picture is immediately painted of how different life has become in all of the sectors, but especially in sector four and how quickly between the patrols and the lack of people and just the general atmosphere as war right. kind of encroaches You have an electrified wall, you know, like it used to be wall was exclusion, but now there's electrified wall and people dying on the wall. And then we find out the sinister underbelly of that. Um, and how all of these guys who are patrolling, how affected they are, whether it's a good day or a bad day, what they're carrying in with them. So, I mean, like I really respect Briandana just not show, shying away from the fact that war is ugly and it causes pain. It and We've seen the market be a thriving place and now there's people missing and dying each day, uh, people moving away, trying to find, you know, you know so there's, you, we're seeing like the contracting of the O'Kanes back into their compound. 
um, and all the sinister stuff happening. Which is, and I really like that you use that word contracting because it very much so does feel like the early part of this series is an expansive motion. It's the O'Kane's kind of beginning to branch out, different people taking different sectors and kind of the growth. And this very much so feels like the reverse of that, the constricting in, the gathering in of their their people and their communities and their resources as things just continue to further and further escalate. The thing that I love most about this book and really admire with the way that Brie and Donna write this basically extended war that takes place really over like three books, three books at the end, um, is that war is not only the, um, you know, tragic excitement of when things happen, but is also very much so the daily drudgery of patrols and meetings where, all of your options seem closed that that meeting where they're talking um, and they could hack they could hack a million things they could do it in a million different ways but the ultimate question is is that the thing that will get them caught and is it worth it and every place that they turn to they can never quite make the definitive you know it's never quite worth it the ultimate equation is never quite worth it and so the frustration of that builds so that then when you get to those, intense actual battle scenes it feels so much more uh tense and the pressure behind them has built so much because of all the additional planning and emotional turmoil that's taken place behind them right so you have the stakes of the fact that the O'Kanes are you know they don't want anybody of their people to die and the people that they know whose names they recognize but they also are all gonna fight because this is what they're here for that's the same like uh, the Hawks family and six, they, that's why they're going to set fire to the farms and burn their homes because it matters. Um, yeah, there's just so many moments where people just have to make a choice of like, this is worth it. And we might not see tomorrow, but this is worth it. Oh, and that entire scene is so tragic. It's up there with the, with the Tatiana novella in terms of just like sheer gut punch because, it's a loss for such a community, but also we've learned at this point so much about Hawk and Hawk's mother and the journey of Sector 6 from being this much more abusive, restrictive place into this kind of community of, you know, found family in this, you know, kind of different. And just to the tragedy of having to knowingly destroy all of that specifically to keep it from the hands of people who, who would use it for ill like it's that ultimate being torn between not wanting to do it and knowing that it has to happen and there is no other choice there's no way around it so yeah so then we have the uh, Markovic being okay so because the, you know we have Jenny and um Hawk in the in the dungeon essentially and being uh interrogated and abused and they make these this big stand, and Jenny makes this terrific sacrifice, and then Coop shows up, <laughs> and, it's, and it's so anticlimactic for them, you know. For for you, you're like, oh my god, thank god. Uh, but but for them, it's like they've ramped up for the sacrifice, and it's like, oh, okay, so we play dead, and we're but they're so damaged as to go up. But one of the people that they dig out of this dungeon is Markovic, the rebel counselor right this super righteous dude yeah so he's like somebody who like believes the eden hype he actually is like sincere uh <laughs> and 
and much to uh, the chagrin of his fellow counselors who really want him just to sign off on things uh, and why he's end up there. And so there's this moment of like, oh, crap, this is how bad things have gotten in Eden, because the if this guy is is in the dungeons, what else? Who else is in this, these dungeons? Right. Um, so that really sort of starts opening up who's the real enemy, who they're going to be fighting. And we've seen Markovic before, and he's never, you know, we've learned that his kind of desires and Dallas's desires or the sector desires are maybe not completely overlapped, but are close enough that they're willing to kind of work together or at least call a truce for one another. But this is the point at which um, Markovic really kind of has to cast lots one way or the other, and he's casting in with... Dallas and with the revolt and the revolution with the hope of, in his mind, kind of restoring Eden to the great place that he believes it could genuinely be without the already in place corruption. And so it's it's interesting because it sets the groundwork for not only the la- next and last book, but also some of the other behind the scenes things that we continue to see throughout some of the Gideon's writer books. And while like it becomes much more background, Markovic's role in Eden becomes kind of a playing piece on the game board of the universe as a whole. And I think this is where we really see that get like cemented in terms of when Coop shows up, he goes with them and he goes with Hawk and Jenny and all of them back to the sector. They get him medical care they get him kind of squirreled away to a place he can hide to recover but they take him in he's he's yet another person the okanes have kind of taken into their family so to speak mm-hmm. <laughs> so, though i think you'd have a really hard time thinking of the okanes yeah family. like he, <laughs> but, you know he's yeah. never, he's never going to be an okane <laughs> but he's definitely become one of the uh, like He's found a place to recover and be right. He finds undercover. sanctuary. He finds sanctuary yeah. with them. Um, yes, that's a very good way to put it. He literally kind of declares sanctuary and goes. Because is it in the... Does he just go with Dylan to the hospital? Or do they actually take him to... Like a like a safe house. I can't they put him to remember. a safe house because I think I think he goes to a hospital at one point and eventually makes it to a safe house because it gets referenced in the next book about not going back to the hospital um, because he's sort of traumatized by that. Um, so yeah, so let's finish up here. I think I guess to talk about you know so how satisfied were we with with Jenny and Hawk and um, I've really love their story um especially because they have such a quiet breakdown um they have that climax but it's but it's they don't know how to put each other back together again um and how it wasn't fancy sex moves or uh big ultimatums or anything like that it's quiet conversation that gets him back in place so that's something I love yeah I really I really love that it's kind of almost disjointed when the fight happens because it's also happening in the midst of this like other major drama right like they're in the dungeon Jenny's gonna stay behind Coop's like but at the same time they're having this argument that is very much so fundamentally altering like the foundation of their relationship and so as a reader it feels almost like jarring or kind of like um displacing to read 
that and have all these other things also happening. But I also think that's what works so well in favor of then when they have that final time to sit down and talk to one another, they've realized that what they need is to rewind and they need to backtrack and they need to undo a lot of the things that they've done because the way they've done them won't work for them. And so I really think that's a beautiful scene. I love all of the scenes with um, just continuing to expand on the world building that Brie and Donna are doing in terms of like, we get to see so much more of like Joyote's rooftop gardens. In this book, we get to talk so much more with Hawk's family about like farming specifically medicinal herbs and some of the roles that that could take. And so it's just these continued layers of like how you would build a society that could survive and thrive, you know, post this war with Eden (laughs) in this other world that's been so altered like in the large way. Right. So you, we, we have a lot of conversations about produce. We have uh, conversations about planning and growth, um, which is, it literally is putting the seeds of the future post-Eden. Mm-hmm. And I just, because we've heard, you know, so much in these books, we've heard about Dallas's vision for the future and the O'Kane plan for the future. But this is where we really see some of those concrete ways that it's going to come to, fruition no pun intended and how everybody's going to kind of help with that so I think those are my favorite scenes anything that didn't work particularly well or were overall overall it really worked for me um and I I certainly feel like the second time around I got a lot more understanding of Hawk um like I didn't really get him beyond this sort of like awkward guy um but just really understanding, just I think being able to read the rally differently and the the loft and all those moments of just sort of seeing him just sort of settle into his skin, right? As somebody who's really not a smuggler, he's not he he's he likes to build things and um, you know have have a workshop and build a home and a family. And you know that that so you start seeing the snippets of who he's going to be when he's not stressed out and worried about the fact that he has to build these things to secure and save everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think my general takeaway is just always that especially these last three books, these last two or three books really benefit from reading more than once just because there is so much that's going on. I think it's very easy to kind of almost want to split your focus between the relationship and then the the war and the world and all of that. And so reading it this time, the first time I was so into the war and the plot and the way that was all developing and moving forward that this time I was really able to spend that time with Hawk and Jenny and kind of some of the more subtle relationship aspects, which I love about this book. So I just think it's one of those things where it's just there's so much that happens that reading oh yeah absolutely like i feel like I, and I also need to go back and even read some of the scenes with them with gia again because i feel like i saw so much more this time and i maybe there's patreon stories for gia i haven't read yet but i love her and i want her to have her hea um because you get to see her motherliness and her loving and and just sort of like She's ready. She's going to shiv Hawk if he doesn't take good care of Jenny. Um, but to the point where she also, she, she, 
it's not she's so about putting the uh, she wants to care and about how she wears her dominance very lightly around hawk just all those little moments that were just beautiful character moments where jenny's seeing one thing hawk is seeing another and you know that gia has like three other plans in her head um and we've gotten to see little snippets of Gia in so many of the other books. It would really be nice. To, I'm also not sure if there's, I'm a couple, I'm a little bit behind on some of the Patreon stories. So there could already be one out there, but I don't think there's been one yet. Um, okay, moving to the very end, because we're going a little bit longer than normal. We end this book. Well, first of all, throughout this book, we meet our hero and heroine for the next book. We meet Nessa, who is our whiskey brewing long-term O'Kane princess. <laughs> And we meet Ryder, who has taken over um, Jim Jernigan's sector after he was assassinated. So he's taken over eight and is now also moving a lot in five. And there's just a lot of uh, navigation going on there. When we end the story, Dallas has told uh, his hacking squad basically to get up. They're off the leash. They're free to do whatever they can imagine doing. And the lights go out in Eden. And it is a literal cut to black, blackout. That is the last thing that happens. But which becomes interesting when we pick up in the next book, when we come back in a couple of weeks, because it picks up immediately right after that happens. Usually sometimes, you know, usually get at least a couple week like buffer in between the books. But the next one will pick up right where this one leaves off. So it's very suspenseful. But that brings us to the end of talking about Beyond Ecstasy. Um, We will be back in two weeks to talk about book nine, which is Beyond Surrender. That is the last book in the official O'Kane series. Although we will be talking about the Patreon short story. So we're not completely done with the O'Kane world yet. Um, But in the meantime, Anna, do you want to let them know where they can find us online? Yeah, you can find us at beyondthesectors.com for our show notes and everything else that you need to find. And on Twitter as Beyond Sectors. Wonderful. I am on Twitter as an outlaw life. And I'm on Twitter as Anna Koki. And until next time, friends, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and we'll see you beyond the sectors. Bye, guys. Bye.